The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy, the underdog, Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. All right. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this motherfucker's last name or his moniker or anything. It's it's all. <laughs> only because you don't want to have to go on your tirade for his moniker. If I say his moniker. I, I have to. Oh, my God. Anybody <laughs> named the Jacksonville serial killer? <laughs> it brings is to just, images of, oh, I don't know, Lucas and Tool's mind. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I was, just, was, was going to ask you that. Is he, is he related? No, he looks like he's um, of either African-American or Latino descent. He's kind of a darker, light, dark colored. And you know. that's why we should start deporting people. <laughs> Yeah. Well, his name is Paul Duraso, right? So he's got some ethnicity in him. I'm, I'm assuming, but, you know, like I said, I haven't really gone through this case a whole lot. I'm kind of winging it because I've been busy with other things this last week and I got sick. So, you know. Groovy, groovy. Okay, let's jump into All this because right. we have let's, some other shit to do. Yeah, let's do this. So this case started on New Year's Day uh, 2003, January 1st, 2003. So it's pretty, pretty recent. Yeah, very recent, actually. It was approximately 10.30 p.m. when 19-year-old Nakia Chanel Kilpatrick's family decided to do a well check on her because they hadn't seen her for a few days. And this was actually unusual because it was the holiday season and she was very much into family, right? Um, so they went over to her apartment in at Spanish Oaks Apartment Complex in Jacksonville. Of course. To check on her. Now, um, when they some of the family members arrived at the house, the first thing they noticed was... was that they were getting down and funky. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. No, the first thing they noticed, and this is, I mean, this whole first part of it really saddened me, was she had a two-year-old son banging on the windows as if he was trying to get somebody's attention, right? Okay. So when they came, when they opened the door to go into the apartment, they were immediately hit in the face with a putrid stench, okay? So they knew, oh my gosh, something's wrong because she was a good mother. Now, when they couldn't find her right away, they decided, you know, she's got to be here somewhere. Her two-year-old's here, right? So they walked through the apartment. They found her 11-month-old crawling around on the floor, right? So she's got a 2-year-old and an 11-month-old. Then they turn the corner. They they turn the corner into one of the bedrooms. And to their horror, they found her remains there. And she was very decomposed. Oh, damn. Um, she had been tied up and strangled to death with a cord. I now, had to pay extra for that. <laughs> I know, right? Especially in Thailand. Yeah, and even here. <laughs> right? Well, they immediately called the cops, right? The investigators actually arrived pretty quickly and did an extensive search of the home and the surrounding area. And then they removed her body and took it to the coroner. The medical examiner revealed evidence pointing to her being sexually assaulted and murdered 48 hours before her body was discovered. Now, after further examination, they also discovered that at the time of her death, she was six months pregnant. Right? 
And I mean, that just like floored me. Me too. You but, already got two goddamn kids and you live in Jacksonville. Why the hell do you want another one? Well, because she lives in Jacksonville. God um, damn it. Whole, having children. I will, I will say this. At least he didn't kill the children. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what? So if I have to find something good out of this, that's it right there. Now, um, where was it? Oh, although her small children were unharmed, they were suffering from malnutrition and... Also, you know, I'm pretty sure it was traumatic being there with their mother's dead body and they can't get her to get up, you know, to help them. So according to news reports, the boys managed to survive by eating dried food from the kitchen. At least they didn't eat their mom. Yeah. So the boys, act. I mean, the two-year-old boy, I'm sure, like, found dried food and was, like, giving it to his little 11-month-old brother. Which, you know, that's pretty... Good for a two-year-old, right? Right, right, yeah. So they were all, so they were all obviously placed in the care of Nikia's family. They also, the investigators also collected vital physical evidence. Yet it wasn't enough to lead them to the identity of the murder. They were confident that the murder was not hit the person's first because some aspects of the crime appeared to be too organized and thought out. It was also speculated that she wouldn't be his last. They couldn't have been more accurate. So within a month, three more bodies would be discovered that would be attributed to this to Paul. Also, three other murders, including that of another unborn child, would later be added to the list, totaling eight victims. Was, it, was he targeting you know chicks who just have repeated freaking kids that can't afford? I don't think so, but like I said, I didn't get a chance to read through this whole thing. You know, you got to bear with me. I'm kind of new at this, too. I will bear with you. Roar. So it was, it was, they act, the Jacksonville police quickly determined, hey, we have a serial killer on our hands. Which in early 2000s, that was kind of a shock to everybody, you know? Cause Somebody you messed up my Cheerios. Shut up. Now, 28-year-old Shawanda, shut up, Denise McAllister... <laughs> <laughs> she was an independent, hardworking person. She was determined. Which she was. She was determined to make it for make it on her own. Right? On the streets of Jacksonville. No, actually, no. She was a CNA, a certified nursing assistant. But she also, when she wasn't working, she was attending classes so that she could advance in the medical field. She wanted to become a nurse. Oh, okay, decent, decent. Yeah. So she, she was doing everything she should, and however, her dreams would be cut short. On January 10th of 2003, she was found strangled to death in her Jacksonville apartment on Arco Drive. In some ways, Shawanda's death bore marked similarities to Nikia's murder. Like Nikia, there was evidence of sexual assault and both victims had been bound in a similar fashion. Also, like Nikia, she was pregnant at the time of her death. Investigators suspected that Shawanda and Nakia died at the hands of the same killer. You know, Shawanda right? sounds like something that a magician would say. And watch me pull this rabbit out of a head. Shawanda! Instead of abracadabra? Yep. You're so dumb. <laughs> they also linked another previous murder to that, to to the two they had on hand already. Because on December 19th of 2002, they discovered the remains of 18-year-old Nicole Williams. Now, according to a newspaper article, Williams was found wrapped in a light blue blanket in a ditch on Sotel Drive in Jacksonville. It was suggested that she was murdered in a hotel and her body was dumped there. 
Now, Nicole had been bound and strangled like the other two victims, and there was also evidence of sexual assault. Also, investigators revealed that DNA taken from the unknown assailant matched samples taken from all three victims. That's what scares me. I've left DNA everywhere. I know you have. Even on your mom. There was little doubt that the same killer was responsible. Then on February 5th, 2003, a construction crew clearing out a vacant lot in Jacksonville made another discovery. They found the remains of 17-year-old Giovanna Tyrica Jefferson. That is a you black know, name for you real. Know, uh, this might just be my ESP, but I think all of his victims were black. Yeah, that's what I'm picking up, too. That's That, that, that could just be my ESP. That's not me being racist or anything like that. It's just that... No, no. All these women, by and large, have... Very, very, very African American name. Yes, you know, like they're Shanika, not African American. Okay, here's Shanika Tyweka Brown. <laughs> here's the thing: they're not African Americans. They're not from Africa. Oh, yeah, now, if they true. are, if they're from Africa, then I apologize. But they're just black folks. That's true. They're that's black true. American. They're, they're they're Americans. That's true. Now, I worked for a guy who was African American. His name was Mike Wahomi, and he was from Kenya. He's African, and Did he's he have American. that thick Kenyan accent. He was scary. <laughs> not, 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 with that said, nicest guy you oh, could I believe ever it. work I believe it. But, like, when, when I, I, I got a promotion uh, to supervisor, right? This is when I was splicing and, and doing cable and things, uh, when I took a little break from music. And uh, he calls me on my phone, and this is what I get. I still remember the call. I go, oh, it's Mike. Scott, what are you at? I'm like, what'd I do? That's something I, I fucked up something. I go, I'm over here in La Quinta at this country club. You need to meet me over here right now. <laughs> when you are done, I'm on. Okay, Mike, I'm on it. So I go over there thinking, wondering, just go, what the fuck did I do wrong? You know? <laughs> and uh, a great guy, man. He said, hey, look, you know, I'm replacing the supervisor for this project because they can't get the job done. And uh, and I want to make you the supervisor, blah, blah, blah. And I'm all, really? So, yeah, really. It comes with the pay raise and da, 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 da. And then they gave you like a stipend to pay for your rent. And he would always fill my gas tank up, you know, because wow. we use our own trucks. Things like that. Really, it's super nice guy. But you hear him on the phone. And, like, he came out and did a few projects with me, like a couple of builds, right? Right. It was just him and I working together. And if you're not used to him, everything he says sounds like he's going to kill you. <laughs> you know, I used to say that about the the Russians who would deliver dry ice. Because, you know, they were big burly men. Oh, yeah. And they always had resting, I don't know. Not resting bitch face, but resting killer face, I would say. <laughs> because it's like, I knew they were the nicest guys ever. They were so nice and so polite, and, you know. They were awesome. But it's like, when they were just standing there, the first time I met them, I'm like, oh my God, these Russians are going to kill me. You know? Well, but, like, yeah. Mike, Mike and I were working doing one house, and it was over in Coachella. Uh, mm-hmm. This is all in California. And, Coachella. Uh, and uh, so, you have what's called the, the point of demarcation, where the phone lines come into the house. That's your point of demarcation. Right. We found three different point of demarcations because they had put in their own expansions in there. Oh, and no. And didn't know what they were doing. And here's Mike. He's looking at this. He's like, what in the fuck is wrong with these people? They are idiots. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I'm saying, and if you didn't know that he was talking about them, you would think that you did something wrong. And he's just holding his head. Scott, I cannot make the heads or tails of this shit. These people are fucking <laughs> stupid. I'm like, no, I agree, Mike. They're pretty freaking retarded. <laughs> okay, so here's what we have to do. And then we got out every piece of gear that we had to tone out every line that they had to figure out how we're going to bring fiber into this freaking house. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. No, it, it was great. He was, he, we, we laughed about it afterwards, but we were both looking at it. We're, we're fucking retards, man. 
Because everything's color coded. Yeah. And these people had no idea about color coding. No idea. None. 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 So, you know, they found Giovanna's remains in a ditch, and she was actually reported missing 10 days after um, Shawanda's body had been found on January 20th. Oh, damn. So she's nice and ripe. Yeah. So the police were. Obviously, you know, as soon as you find a body when you're doing construction, you have to shut everything down and call the authorities. An investigation has to be made, and you cannot continue construction until they clear the scene. And then you got to get an Indian out there and a cop and a construction worker (laughs) and a mechanic and sing YMCA. The village people taught me that. (laughs) And a Navy guy. That's right. (laughs) So I say, young men, I want to take your pants down. Young men. Oh, sorry. Wrong song. (laughs) You're so stupid. So, after they arrived, they discovered the remains of yet another victim six feet from Giovanna's body. God dang, Paul, you're a busy boy. I know. This young woman was identified, was later identified as 19-year-old Sarita Ann Cohen. Now, she was a mother of two children, and she had been reported missing the day before the construction crew found the bodies. Right? So she wasn't as ripe as the other ones. Mm, Nice and fresh. Yeah. So one Associated Press reporter said that the evidence suggested that the girls' hands had been tied behind their backs. And there was also evidence that the girls had been sexually assaulted before they were murdered. However, the most vital clue of the investigation came when witnesses claimed to have seen both Giovanna and Sarita with a cab driver prior to them going missing. Beep, beep, taxi! Taxi! Beep, beep. Yeah, so it was also reported that it was that clue that led the police to a man named Paul Durasseau. Now, Paul was born on October 11th, 1970 in Beaumont, Texas. Yeah, that's where my stepdad's from. Well, oh, really? Well, he's from just outside of Beaumont, Texas. From Does a, he have a thick Texas accent? No, no, no. Dang. But uh, he uh, he comes from a small town called Nederland, Texas. Oh, which is just outside of Beaumont. Uh, nice place, actually. It's it's not it's not a bad place at all. Wow. I mean, ginormous goddamn bugs during the summertime, but uh, ni- nice place, man. Yeah, Texas is known for their bugs, especially out towards the Gulf. Yeah. Because uh, Beaumont and all that's you know around the Gulf. Yeah. So, anyways, he. He said that he, his family frequently moved when he was little. And the sad part is, is there's little known about him in his childhood. But what people do know is that he had a very extensive police record that dated all the way back to 1991. Because he, he was listening to NWA and he's walking out of the house going, fuck the police and things like that. And they're like, hmm, not today, motherfucker. You're in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. No. Now, according to Jacksonville Police reports, um, Paul's first arrest was on December in December 1991, and then he was arrested again in January 1992. Both times were for concealment of firearms in California. That'll do it, man. California is not a yeah, good they, state. Yeah, they have no joke when it comes to concealed firearms, do they? Yeah, no, and that's, uh, that's like, and it's really weird as you go here in the states. State by state. Like, in California, if you even own a gun, they're sitting there going, well, we're going to keep an eye on you because you're probably a terrorist. Here, they go, if you own a gun, you probably hunt or you yeah. shoot. You know, nobody thinks that you're a uh, fucktard. In Texas, if you don't own a gun, they're like, um, over here, sir. 
Yeah, no, we need to write you a ticket because you're not carrying a firearm. We, we're the Yosemite, the Yosemite Sam state here. We expect you to have the six guns. Like, I know you're wearing board shorts, but you need to put this holster on. <laughs> right. But, so that way there you look like the rest of us with your board shorts and your flip flops and a 357 Magnum. And a holster, a, a shoulder holster, right? Uh, no, it has to be a waist, waist oh, holster. Oh, it has to be a waist holster. So that way there you're holding up your, your britches at the your same time. Shooter. Yeah, that's right. Well, I got my six shooter. Let's go get that Wesley Rabbit. Pew, pew, pew. Come here. Yeah. I'm your Simmons Sam from Texas. Oh, God, you're so bad. Now, shortly after those arrests, Paul enlisted in the army. And he was stationed temporarily in Germany where he met another service. He met a service woman at a night. A 20, she was 21 years old. And they met at a nightclub and they immediately fell in love. Oh, and, young German love. I know. Well, she was a, a United States military. Oh, woman. Miss Tommy, that is okay. <laughs> I know the German loves. You Germany German is known loves? for its great love, Miss Tommy. For oh. example, we loved the, the Jews a lot. That's why we wanted to get them all in the showers and make them clean. Because uh, we loved them. I hate you. I love Dieter, though. I do. So Dieter in 19... loves you, too, Miss Tommy. <laughs> I know. So in 1995, they actually eloped to Vegas and got married. Now, both of them were transferred to Fort Benning, Georgia. I know where that is. I'm pretty sure you do, Georgie. Here's my question. <laughs> if one of them was named Jack, would that be Jackaloped? <laughs> I don't know. Asking for a friend. <laughs> now... It was once they arrived in Fort Benning where his legal issues kind of like resurfaced and increased. Um, he was arrested in 1997 on charges of kidnapping and rape. Now, when he went to court, he was acquitted. So one month after his acquittal, Tracy Habersham was found dead. But for some reason, he was not a suspect in that crime. But he was found in possession of stolen goods, which led to him being court-martialed and a dishonorable discharge from the army. Hold up, hold up, hold up. He's in Texas. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He's, he's, in, in, he's, he's in Georgia. And he's up at Fort Benning. Okay, no, okay, he goes down to Jacksonville. Okay, no, it's making sense to me. For some reason in my head, he was still in Texas. Somehow. That makes no damn sense. Like, he would, shouldn't be a suspect if he's down in Texas. No, he's in Fort Benning. And gotcha. Was, yeah. Gotcha. My bad. I'm back on track yeah. now. So apparently his le- his you know piling legal issues put a strain on his marriage. So after he was dishonorably discharged, he found it difficult to find a job. You think? Yeah. So he, you know, worked a series of temporary positions, <laughs> yet his lack of permanent employment, I hate you. Lack of permanent employment made it hard for them to make ends meet. So as it turned out, 1997 was actually a pretty eventful year for this struggling couple. They relocated to Jacksonville, which was his wife's hometown, and they moved into an apartment there. Soon after that, they welcomed the birth of their daughter, which was quickly followed by the birth of another daughter a year later. I'm pretty sure they had Irish twins, right? So interviews with the friends and neighbors of them suggested that they continue to experience the marital strain during the late 90s which i'm sure happens you're struggling financially your husband can't hold down a job anymore he was dishonorably discharged that's going to cause a strain on your marriage right right yeah 
So according to a news article, he was described by his acquaintances as, quote, a lewd womanizer. He often fought with his wife over their financial issues and his inability to maintain a proper employment and his overt adulterous behavior. Okay, I can't blame him on that, man. Maybe, okay, now hear me out. Maybe the wife is suffering from a little postpartum baby giving birth and thing. And he wants some pussy, and she's like, no, the pussy door is closed. Well, especially having kids that close together. Yeah, you know, so, um, so, homie's, he's horny, okay? Homie's horny. That's right, man. Homie the clown is horny. Like, Paul's out there going, oh my God, like, I will pay someone to even look at my penis at this point. Because the old lady, she's not giving me any loving, okay? Yeah. So now he's like, hey, baby, how you doing? Oh, you want to fuck? I want to fuck. Let's make this happen. So he's out there, and he's like, he, he's being like me, the Johnny Appleseed the sex, is spreading his seed everywhere, just having a good old time, having lots of sex, getting what he needs. Because, and he wouldn't have to if she was at home sitting there going, okay, look, I'm going to go talk to the doctor. I'm going to do what I can. Let me, you know, maybe I don't want sex, but maybe I can give you a little handy J to help you out. Something. But no, she's like, Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. this door is closed. Yeah. No. Nah. Well, you're going to like what he did next. So. Ah, sweet. Yeah. Chicka-wang-wang. Neighbors say, say that he frequently made sexual suggestive comments to the women and attempted to seduce young girls around the neighborhood. When you say young girls, that's a, that's a subjective term because like. Young could be like for for me a young girl is somebody who's like under twenty five. Oh yeah, me too. You I know? mean, young for me is somebody under thirty. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I make the jokes and shit like that when I go, "Hey, baby, how old are you?" And then in my own voice, I'm not saying this to a real person. I go something like sixteen or eighteen. All right, <laughs> but no, that's the that's a baby, and to me, they still wear diapers. Um, right, but uh, well, so I'm young, assuming young is that they were pubescent because none of those victims were. Under the age of what, 18? Oh, yeah, the 17 year old one. Oh, yeah, I was going to say but 17. Still, that's, 18, that's, but still. To me, that's close enough. Yeah. Well, in 1999, he was what, 20 something himself? 29? Something like that. Yeah. 69 or whatever he was. So, you know, 17 is not really that young. She's only 17. Her daddy says she's too young, but she's old enough for me. She's only, you know, from yeah. damn Yankees. Yeah, I got it. I love the Yankees. They're a good band, man. Now, it seems that, you know, the couple's marital spats escalated to the point of physical violence. According to one news report, in August of 1999, uh, Durso's wife uh, went to the police and asked them how she could get a domestic violence restraining order after she had told them her husband slapped her and tried to grab her around the neck when they were fighting over finances. Now... The first time she petitioned for protection came actually a year after that. So he became, according to her reports, Duraso became violently angry when I told him that I was planning to file for a divorce. Um, then the first time she actually petitioned, oh no, I said that already. Um, so the violence was ongoing, she said, and she also said that I'm afraid it will escalate. Now that, uh, the DV restraining order was never granted because Paul and his wife came to an agreement to actually drop the petition. But as it turns out, the problems had already escalated because a month before that, he had been arrested for trespassing on private property. 
Then in March of 2001, he physically assaulted his wife again. He put his hands around her neck and threatened to kill her. And this time she sought another protection order. That's because she burnt the freaking pot roast. Um. Now, her friends actually felt really bad for her because she was such a nice person. She worked and tried to go to school so that she could get a degree to get a better job. Now, according to Paul, to the timeline that he provided the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, he was then arrested and sentenced to one month in jail and two years probation for raping a Jacksonville woman in June of 2001. It was just sex she didn't know she wanted. (laughs) Yeah. Then in August of 2001, he was arrested again for assaulting his wife. And then he spent another month in jail for that. Now, his criminal files expanded even more when he was arrested in April of 2002 for burglary, even though he was acquitted of that charge as well. I like burglary. Now, With by, a little bit of tomato on it, a little bit of mustard, onion. That's good burglary. I hate you. So, for, by all accounts, he had a very lengthy criminal history, right? So Despite long. that, he was a convicted felon and he had no difficulty finding temporary work. But he couldn't hold down a job, per, you know, long term. In August of 2001, he worked for several weeks as a bus driver, as well as in other temporary positions such as animal control and so forth. Then in January 2003, he worked for, oh my God, I hate this name, a Jacksonville cab company called Gator City Taxi. That is awesome. That's appropriate. That's so epic, right? That's freaking awesome, man. <laughs> Like that thing you sent me, the ja- the couple in Florida who sold the golden tickets to heaven. Yeah, that was. Cool. <laughs> I actually joined the group to read the post. So worth there you it. Go. So during his job as a cab driver, police believed that he became acquainted with many women, including the murder victims. At the time of their murders, he was already a leading suspect in the investigation due to his outstanding police record. And clues that linked him to some of the victims. Now, one important clue actually came from Giovanna's mother. According to a news article dated June 18, 2003, she was last seen getting into a cab driven by a man who was referred to as D. Now, when she failed to come home, her aunt called her cell phone, which the cab driver answered. He told her that he would return Giovanna soon, yet she never made it home. Now, why would the cab driver driver answer her phone oh, and say i'm bringing easy. her home soon a fucking retard that is sketchy as fuck right yeah. i would have said she left her phone in my car I've, yeah I you been, know that would have been the logical explanation I've right been, yo who dis and they'd be like hey where is this chim man she left the phone in my cabin shit she like all took off and shit if you see it till i got her phone Now, Giovanna's mother obviously was worried about her daughter. So she went to the cab company to inquire about who this guy D was. Um, And they quickly learned that it was Paul Durso. Now, the clue was an important lead. However, according to Jacksonville, and I do not like this guy because we've covered him in another case. But I digress. Sheriff Nat Glover. Oh, here we go. Now, we we covered him in another case way back in episode 73. Jesus Christ. Yep. According to Nat, there was not enough evidence to charge Paul for anything. 
But this asshole, though, you can have a smoking gun in the dude's hand, blood everywhere, tire tracks that match his, and him on surveillance. And he would be like, there's not enough evidence to really do anything. Either that, or there's very little. I mean, either that, or it's like, obviously, it was uh, in the heat of the moment type thing. And he's like, no, he's a sadistic sex killer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It the, was the sexually dude is motivated. always off base. The dude's an idiot. Totally off base. I and mean, I know. In the case we covered, actually, episode uh, hold on. We had better be nice because we might be going to Jacksonville soon. I know. I was going to say, we better be good. I apologize, Detective Glover. Sheriff you, Glover. Sheriff Glover. But no, you I are mean, a genius. But I will say this that in later years, he did admit that he was wrong in that case we covered way back when. Oh, that's, you know, some but still, I'm telling you, his name has come up a couple times. Now, at around the same time, the strains of an unhappy relationship were taking their toll on Paul and his wife. Um, now, they had been married for approximately eight and a half years when him and his wife separated in January 2003. She and her two, their two children moved to another place in Jacksonville. Now, you know, uh, you, you know what else separates? What? Boobs. You can lift them and separate them. You can if you have a good bra. Oh, no. Your mom just needs my hands. I was going to say, I have a good bra that lifts and separates. Your mom has me. I have this one bra that lifts and separates, but it like makes my boobs look so much bigger. <laughs> and it's like, people go, oh my God. I'm like, no. And it's even the correct size. I didn't buy a bigger bra, people. Um, Thank you? <laughs> Question think, mark? I think. <laughs> That's more information I needed to know about you. There's Crutchzilla. Yeah, there you go. But anyways... <laughs> Now, according to another article report, um, Paul continued to live at what, at what was the family home. However, he spent a lot of his time over at his wife's house. You know? So it's like, okay, they're separated, but they're still, like, together, I guess. Well, may- maybe she got her sex drive back, and now he's giving him a but little bit of pussy. maybe it's like she's letting him spend time with his children, too. Okay. You I- know? I-, I just had hopes that he's getting laid. That's all. I mean, I'm trying to help a brother out here. Um, Those black guys have to stick together. Yeah, there you go. Now, on February 6, 2003, he was actually visiting his wife and children when the police showed up and arrested him. He wasn't being charged with the murders, but he was still a key suspect. He was arrested for violation of parole for the 2001 rape. While he was incarcerated in Duval County, investigators continued to accumulate evidence that linked him to the murders. And it didn't take long for them to say, you know what? I think we hit pay dirt, right? During the investigation, they began to find clear links between Duraso and the deaths of Kilpatrick, Williams, McAllister, Jefferson, and Cohen. According to a news report, evidence including DNA sample matches, fiber analysis matches, um, cab and cell phone records could all be traced from the victims and crime scenes right back to him. Now, some of the evidence included the fibers from a blanket in which Nicole Williams was found, which were later matched to those found in his home. Furthermore, they took DNA samples from the crime scenes and the victims and matched them to his. Now, jewelry belonging to Sarita and Giovanna were also found when they searched his car, and cell phone records from two girls showed that they called him before they disappeared. Also, um, a bank surveillance tape showed Shawanda drawing money from an automated machine on the day she died, And him and his cab were in the background. Now, one of the characteristics that linked the murders was that in most of the cases, his M.O. was very similar. um, According to a news report, he 
use cords such as extension or coaxial cable as a ligature around their necks. And Sheriff Glover stated that the killer fashioned the cord into a peculiar slip knot during the strangulation. Evidence increased, which supported their case against Durosoap. Then, on June 17, 2003, he was charged with five counts of first-degree murders for the deaths of Nakia Kilpatrick, Shawanda McAllister, Nicole Williams, Sarita Cohen, and Giovanna Jefferson. He also faced two more counts of child abuse against Nakia's two small children who were left alone in the apartment for up to two days with the decomposing remains of their mother. Now, shortly after he was arrested, he was linked to yet another murder in Columbus, Georgia. It took place several years earlier when he was stationed at Fort Benning. Then, in September 1970, 1997, excuse me, Tracy Habersham went missing after attending a party at Fort Benning uh, NCO Club. A couple of days following her disappearance, a man walking his dog found her new body in a ditch, um, and she had been strangled. The murder case remained unsolved for years until he was arrested in, in, on February 6th. Now, according to a June 19th uh, news report. Did you say June 19th or Jew? June. Okay. Wow, numbering Jews. That's not good. Yeah. On June 19th of 2003. Shalom. A news article said that a profile of Habersham's murder was similar to the deaths of the five Jacksonville victims, which prompted them to run DNA testing and... Those tests came back as a match. Was Michael Jackson involved? Because no. they had the Jackson 5 going on there. The Jacksonville 5. <laughs> ABC. <laughs> it's easy as one, two, three. Okay. Okay, yeah. No, that that was disturbing. Go ahead. The authorities also stated that most of the women had been sexually assaulted. However, they would not reveal if Tracy herself had been sexually abused. Um... Warrants for Durso's arrest in connection with Trace's murder were pending in Georgia, and it was suggested that if he was found guilty in Florida, it was likely that he would never be charged for the murders in Georgia, which we've seen that before. You know, especially, hey, if he gets the death penalty or life without, what's the point? It just costs them money. Exactly. What are you, you going to do? Kill him? Exactly. You can't, you can't like, kill him twice, you motherfuckers. Can, you can link him to the murders and close out the cases, but what's the point in spending all those taxpayer monies to try to charge somebody who's already on death row or life? Yeah, and that, that, that's the whole thing. It's just and, you know, retarded. And, but just hang on to that. Hang on to as a pending case just in case he gets out. Now, um, on... August 26, 2003, Paul Durso was arrested in the 1999 murder of Tyresa Mack, another mother of three, and the DNA at the scene of the crime matched his DNA as well. So they felt that the prosecutors felt they had a very strong case against him. On August 11th, they confirmed that they would seek the death penalty, and the court set his pretrial hearing for September 2003. Now, several days after his arrest, a grand jury indicted him on five counts of first-degree murder and two counts of child abuse. Um, the indictment was essential in the state if the state wanted to seek the death penalty. Now, it, oh, we've heard this name before, too. D.A. Harry Shorstein. Was that does sound familiar. I can't just remember how. Same episode, episode 73. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. He was prosecuting the case against Durso, was said to have welcomed the indictment, which would facilitate the granting of his request for the death penalty. Now, although he planned to seek the death penalty, he stated that he would not pursue the matter of, of fetal rights, 
which in some states you can. You know what I mean? Even though they weren't born yet, there are some states that allow you to charge for murder on the death of an unborn child. Right, right, right. You know, depending on how far along the woman was and all that crap. Right. Um, so according to an art, another news article, it's believed that charging him with the deaths of the unborn children would, co- would have caused more complications in the case, which might not have worked in the DA's favor. Now, he stated... Now, Shorstein stated in the article that pursuing the matter, quote, would have a tendency to interject an ancillary issue that could have a negative impact on the legal process down the road. Okay, which I kind of understand what he's saying, because, you know, because it runs along the same lines as abortion as far as unborn child rights. And that's a very controversial subject. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So, um... Now, parents of the f- of three of the victims did file suit against Gator City Taxi. The suit contended that their daughters were murdered because the cab company failed to perform a background check when they hired him as a cab driver because he had already had the rape charge. Remember? Right, right, right. Which I can see that, you know. Now, um, in December of 2007, Durasov was convicted of murdering Tyresa Mack, and he received the death penalty. Although no execution date has been set, he was still he's still on death row in Florida. So, yeah, okay, yeah. And I picked this case actually because I saw that he was featured in Breyer's book, and I still am bad. I haven't finished reading it because I pick it up to read it and I fall asleep. No, I didn't. Not because she's boring, but because I'm so tired by the time I finally pick it up to read it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, because it's a very good book. I just, you know, I don't have time to read it during the day. Oh, so Totes my goats, man. I totally get but it. But yeah, so he's still on death row down in Florida. And, you know, I just, I don't have anything bad to say about the prosecutor and the DA, because hopefully, you know, they're we're going to reach out to them for something. And I want to, you know, be cooperative. So, well, yeah. That makes sense. But, yeah, so that's his case. What do you think? There's so much to think about this. Holy shit. I know. I mean, all I can say is, and this is sad to say, I mean, because I can't bring his victims back, you know? And so I can only say I'm glad he didn't kill the children that were there. Well, part of my thought process, though, is that the cab company, Gator, whatever. If Gator I, City Taxi? Yeah. Um, they do deserve to be sued because they didn't do a thorough background yeah, check. Yeah, they didn't. Because anybody with a criminal record, especially a violent person-to-person crime like that, should not have access to other potential victims. You know? Or even ride, driving a school bus, for that matter. Right. You know, you can't... That's just... God, it's like it's like hiring a child molester at a preschool. Yeah. Exactly. Or, yeah, it's just... It's crazy. Really crazy. But... I mean, don't get me wrong. I will say this. People who have committed crimes do deserve a chance in society. No, I dig, yeah. However. Um, but how, how much are you willing to roll the dice if, exactly. if it's, a, it's a guy who's, who's raped someone before? Right. And now you're saying, hey, I'm going to put you in a, in a situation where you where have you, contact or access to victim, potential victims. While nobody's breathing down your neck or looking over your shoulder. Correct. Correct. You're on your own. We're going to give you access to all now, this shit. You yeah. know, I understand everyone needs a second chance, okay? I, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm cool yeah. with that. But there has to come a time where you go, um, the the risk factor is greater than the need to give this person. Right. And like I said, you wouldn't hire somebody with a, with a history of child molestation to right. work at a daycare. 
Right, exactly. Because, hey, maybe they won't defend, but the chances that they are, pretty goddamn good. Right, totally. Now, let's see. He was hired as a bus driver and taxi driver. Okay, bus driver in 01, taxi in 03, right? And he was convicted of rape in 01. Now, that is not long enough. I mean, I can understand if it's been 10, 15, 20 years, and he never reoffended. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. But this was like that same year and two years later. Yeah. And he's yeah. <laughs> still acquiring criminal charges because he's being arrested for burglary. He's being arrested for assault. You know, there's nothing to show that he had rehabilitated. Right. Everything shows a, a, a progression of exactly. crime. It, show, it shows exactly. lack, of, lack of contrition exactly. for, the, for the crimes that he's already done. The guy doesn't give a shit. Exactly. So... In 2001, he rapes somebody, gets a job as a bus driver. Two years later, he's getting a job as a taxi driver where he has a victim pool, a ready pool right there. And I don't think, I, I agree with you that the cab company needs to be held accountable for that. Right, Because exactly. there's background checks for a reason. We do background checks. You do. Yeah, I, everybody gets vetted. Everybody, even my kid, gets vetted. Why? Because we have a protocol and we stick to that shit. Right. And like recent drug charges and stuff. I mean, because we have, I mean, obviously the business has a reputation to uphold. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And the last thing that I need is anybody that could possibly be up to something that's nefarious. Oh, yeah. Fucking with what we're building. Well, and not just that is even if, I mean, not just messing with the equipment and everything, but screwing up the job, period. Right. Because that costs the company more money in the long run. Right. Because everything fucking costs money. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I think it was too soon after those charges for him to be in those positions. But. God damn. You know, I would. I I don't fault them for filing suits against them. No, I I don't. I don't fault them in the least bit. No. Okay. (laughs) Is there anything else? No, ma'am. Well, that's all I have for Paul (laughs) Duraso. I don't know. Jacksonville, Florida. All right, you Floridians. That includes you, Jen Doll, you freaking nature. <laughs> you freak. <laughs> I love fucking you. I love Jen Doll. She puts up with so much from you. She does, I man. Adore and her, her. her and I talk constantly. She's, she's a trip, man. She's, she's really a sweetheart. Yeah. All right, remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Being Down Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Join Citizens of Brutal Nation on Facebook. Join in the chat. This show is copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast, they're lying, thieving bastards. And we will see you guys later on. Bye bye. Bye.